Hello, this is Father John Arnold, and this is Oro Valley Catholic. And so we come from God and we return back to God. The whole uh, trajectory of the incarnation, the story of scripture is that Christ comes from God to lift reality, to lift human existence, all of creation back up to God. And so much of the story as it's told in the Gospel of John is how Jesus shows from water, from bread and wine to death, how all of these human realities point back to God. And so today we have readings from the prophet Ezekiel, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and of course the Gospel of John and the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so as we think of these, these, this revelation of what it means to be a human being, let's take a moment and contemplate as we look down the coming week towards Palm Sunday, the meaning of the Paschal Triduum and how it is that these readings from the fifth Sunday of Lent help prepare us for understanding of what it means to be born to live and to die as a human being. The first reading is from chapter 37 of the prophet Ezekiel. You know, Ezekiel lived, probably was born around maybe 622 BCE, according to Wikipedia, and died around 570 BCE, makes him about 51, 52 when he died. But he lived almost completely during the time of the Babylonian exile. And so Ezekiel actually lived not in Jerusalem, apparently, but mostly his prophecies occur when he's with the people in Babylon. And so it's rooted in the Babylonian experience. And so now imagine Ezekiel there in southern Iraq, because that's the modern country, probably on a canal that joins the Tigris and Euphrates River. That's where they think these Jewish communities were, at least some scholars say that. And so Ezekiel is talking to a generation that knows, because it remembers, or their parents told them, or their grandparents told tell them, because that's how long the Babylonian exile lasts, about three to four generations. So in his lifetime, he's talking to people who remember the slaughter in Jerusalem and others who are little kids or maybe born in Babylon that are learning about it. They know they're called to be faithful to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're living amidst Marduk worshipers, you know, the people of Babylon, a very, very different kind of religion. Not the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon had built, but ziggurats, a magic, a polytheism, all of these terribly unclean things. And what happens during all of that? Well, frankly, some Jews apparently just leave Judaism and find it's easier just to join the Marduk worshipers. Others just die uh, there in Babylon. Um, but the people clearly are languishing. They're having great difficulties separated from their homeland and wondering what their future might be as a people with no homeland. So within that context, uh, part of the prophecy in Ezekiel 37, and I'll give you the entire context in a moment, but the part of the prophecy that is the reading for this Sunday is, thus says the Lord God, 
O my people, I will open your graves and have you rise for them and bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and have you rise for them, O my people, I will put my spirit in you that you may live and I will settle you upon your land that you shall know that I am the Lord. I have promised and I will do it, says the Lord God. So that's just part of this uh this chapter 37 is Ezekiel, which is about 28 verses long. And I think that reading was basically three verses. But let me give you a sketch of what, these, uh, of what this prophecy was. Because if you look at the prophetic books, rarely do they tell a story. I mean, it's, there's not a narrative, but it's a series of prophecies that the prophet himself may have put, put in writing, or maybe a school of disciples around the prophet would put him in writing. But we know that the people of Israel held on to these prophecies, A, because we have them, B, because they date back to that time, but C, because the prophecy in some very important way became true. And so thinking about Ezekiel's situation in Babylon where people are falling away from the Jewish faith, uh, others are just losing hope, and this disconnection from going home, back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. This is how the prophecy uh, takes place in chapter 37. So the first part of the chapter, verses one through six, and I dare you to read this on your own, is that the hand of the Lord came upon Ezekiel, he says, came upon me and led me out in the spirit. So this is an imaginative vision where he sees all of this in his mind, perhaps as he's in prayer there at some little village along this canal in uh, Iraq, modern Iraq, which is then Babylon. And he sent me in the center of a broad valley and the valley was filled with bones. He made me walk among them in every, in every direction. So many lay on the surface of the valley, how dry they were. And then he said, he asked me, son of man, can these bones come back to life? Did you notice what God called Ezekiel, the son of man? What does Jesus call himself over and over in all the gospels, son of man? And really, that's a figure from uh, the uh, prophecy of Daniel about the son of man who is a divine figure. But Daniel didn't make the term up. Uh, Daniel, who is talking about the Babylonian captivity and is talking about this time of captivity, is really relying on Ezekiel, who is referred to because he's a great prophet as being the son of man. Then he says, son of man, can these bones come back to life? Lord God, I answered, you alone know that. So only God knows, right? Then he said to me, the Lord, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, listen, I will make breath enter you so you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow over you and cover you with skin and put breath into you so that you may come to life. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Well, that's exactly what happens in uh, verses seven through 11. The bones come rattling together, sinews on them, muscle and flesh starts to uh, uh, cover them. And then God says to Ezekiel, and this is the part that we read for Sunday Mass, verses 12 through 14. But seeing this vision of dead bones coming to life, being covered with flesh and muscle, and then listened again to the reading. 
Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Look, I'm going to open your graves. I will make you come up out of your graves, my people, and you bring you back to the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and make you come up out of them, my people. I will put my spirit in you that you may come to life, and I will settle you in your land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. The oracle of the Lord. And so what happens, of course, after Ezekiel's death, the people have come back to Israel. It's why we have uh, Jews amongst us today. They're like, they're like Jesus. You did. They don't stay buried, right? Because God is their strength. And so think about this, this prophecy over dead bones that come to life and then come back to their land. Why is it, do you think, that the church chose this reading from Ezekiel chapter 37 to go along with the reading from the Gospel of John about the raising of a dead body, Lazarus. Well, the connection's pretty clear, but it's also about a very important Jewish theme that runs through the Old Testament right through the Gospel of John, which is a very Jewish gospel. It's how when a prophet speaks, whether it's Ezekiel or Jesus in a prophetic voice. Because remember, the voice of the prophet is not Ezekiel. The voice of the prophet is God. And so Jesus' voice is the voice of God. And he's calling Lazarus back to life as a prophetic statement about what is intended for all of us. Then I want to just, before we go away, is to talk about the gospel. So I want to talk about the rest of Ezekiel 37. Because Ezekiel is then told to take two sticks, Judah and Joseph. And Judah represents the southern tribes, Joseph the northern tribes, and is split up a couple hundred years before Ezekiel's life. He's supposed to tie them together because not only will God bring these shattered people, these Judeans, back to Judea, he is going to reunite them with the lost 10 tribes. Why is that a remarkable prophecy in the 6th century BC? Because the other tribes have been lost in the 8th century BC. Can you imagine? They're not even known to the people of Judah anymore. They've been gone for 200 years. No one knows what happened to them. It's a God-sized problem, right? And so now let's talk about uh, understanding, belief, and the whole trajectory of history. We can talk about where we've been, but we also have a firm basis to talk about where we're going. So now let's turn to the Gospel of John. You know, there is this wonderful trajectory in the Gospel of John, and it revolves around light and darkness. That's one of the themes in John that you see represented here in the raising of Lazarus. But it's also present in other stories. If you remember last week, which was the man born blind, do you remember that they were walking along and his disciples asked him, this is John chapter nine, and we're in chapter 11 right now with the, the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. But last week in John 9, the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents sinned. It's so that the works of God might be made visible through him. We have to do the works of the one who has sent me while it is day. 
Night is coming when no one can work. So let's just stop with that. We have to do the works of light while it is day. If you stay tuned to Holy Thursday when there's the washing of the feet, and that'll be one week from the coming Thursday that we celebrate the Mass of the Lord's Supper at 7 p.m. on Holy Thursday. The story is about the washing of the feet. And so what happens after Jesus washes his feet? It says uh, Jesus, Jesus prophesizes that there's a one amongst us there in the upper room who will betray him. That's Judas. And then um, Judas leaves and no one seems to notice, but this is the way the story is told in the gospel. Maybe they just couldn't imagine that one of their own would betray him. But when Ju Judas left, then it says in John 13, which we'll read, I think, on Holy Thursday. So he took the morsel, that's Judas, and left at once. And then the gospel says, and it was night. And so we're in the part of the gospel of the light of the world. And it turns into darkness at the Paschal Triduum because it's Judas's betrayal that starts the whole trajectory from the Holy Thursday, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, through the uh, passion and death of the Lord to his resurrection on Sunday. One mystery, the mystery of the bread, the cross, and the resurrection all wrapped up together. But you see it because it's against the background of darkness. Remember Jesus, according to chapter one of the Gospel of John, is the light that comes into the world and the darkness does not overcome it. And so it's in John chapter 13 that this is made present in the Paschal mystery. And it was also in last week of the man born blind where Jesus says, remember that um, this is so that the works, is this, this man's sin or is his parents' sin that he's blind? Jesus says, no, the darkness is there so that you can see the glory of God. Fyodor Dostoevsky said, the lights, the stars at night shine brightest on the darkest nights. And so it's in the midst of suffering, in the midst of darkness, when you feel most oppressed by evil, that is when God draws very, very near to you. Now that's gonna be also part of this story in the raising of Lazarus. Um, and I will get to it again, I'll mention it again. But again, Jesus refers to the night Remember, the gospel starts out, now a man was ill at Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Do you remember? Mary's the one that sits at Jesus' feet. Martha's the one who's busy about many things. And then Lazarus is their brother. And Jesus tells that story about Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, if you recall it in Luke. Mary was the one who had anointed the Lord with perfumed oil and dried his feet with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was ill. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to end in death, but it is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So why is the blind man born blind? So you can see the glory of God. Why is Jesus uh, uh, permitting Lazarus to die? So you can see the glory of God. And then this is the key, because the very next phrase in this reading from John 11 about Lazarus is, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained, because he was on the other side of the river Jordan, 
He remained for two days in the place where he was. So you can do the math, right? You're getting used to reading the gospel. So if he's there for two days, and then he goes to Bethany on, all right, the third day, what is the writer setting you up for? Because Jesus is in, in the grave for three days, right? It's everything that Jesus does is directed towards this great Paschal mystery. And so how does Jesus teach? Do you remember two weeks ago, it was uh, chapter four, the story of the Samaritan woman. And remember, they're sitting by the well and Jesus asks for a drink. You, a Jew, asking me for a drink, the Samaritan woman said, to which Jesus replies, you had asked me, I would have given you living water welling up to eternal life. And if you remember that podcast, what I said was it's Jesus starting with water and then leading you through this metaphysical trajectory that goes to living water, then the Spirit, the Messiah, and the presence of God that will reveal everything. That's the story of the Samaritan woman. But how does Jesus teach? He starts to talk about things in heaven by first talking about earthly realities, because we all we all experience water. Uh, you can pretty much go through all the stories and find this trajectory, but it's really very present uh, because that chapter four is about baptism uh, because that's the spring of life-giving water. Because you remember that uh, the flowing water comes out of the side of Jesus at his crucifixion. I had made that point in that previous podcast. So he's referring back to the Paschal Triduum. You know where else it appears? And I could go through a bunch of this, but uh, John chapter six, because it's about very much about the Eucharist. And it's about, you have no, remember, uh, my body is true flesh. My, my, the drink is true blood. Um, it's unless you eat my flesh, unless you drink my blood. It's very much about the real presence in the Eucharist. And that whole trajectory of John six starts with his teaching. It's talking about how Jesus is the, 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 the voice of God. And, uh, and then it morphs into bread and wine because it goes back to the story of manna in the desert, that Moses gave you manna in the desert, but I give you my own flesh and blood to drink. And it's so offensive, if you remember the story of John chapter six, that he loses some of his disciples because um, of his teaching. They just can't make the leap. You're gonna see the same, you're gonna see the very same trajectory in this story when you pay attention to it. So now it's, it's on the other side of the Jordan. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just trying to stone you and you want to go back there. So Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If one walks during the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What's the darkness? Fear of death, fear that it'll be stoned. Jesus has already predicted how many times his own passion. And so to see that walking into the teeth of this opposition from the Pharisees and the chief priests, um, that this is the will of God the light in a dark place because Jesus' willing to do, willingness to do this is gonna light up what death means. And so then we get to the village and lots of people pick this as a funeral reading. And it's such an interesting reading for a funeral but because it's a funeral, you, 
you have trouble kind of getting into why it's interesting. But remember how this works. Jesus walks in, Lazarus has been dead, we find out in the story four days, and the first person that comes to see him amongst all the people that are weeping for Lazarus is Martha. Martha's the one who's busy about it, uh, many things, but she says this to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, to which Jesus says, your brother will rise. Martha said to him, because Jesus has been talking about the resurrection, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. You know, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and they always talked about the last day, uh, that it, this was something at the end of time. Now, we know because we're Christians that the resurrection has already happened. It's happened in Jesus. And it was the last day, but in a prophetic sense. It was the last day of the old creation because the new creation began with the resurrection of Jesus. I've talked about it with St. Paul that we live in this in-between times where the old world and the new world overlap. And it's the time of the church which knits together heaven and earth. But Martha is still thinking in Pharisaic terms that the resurrection will come, you know, after we're dead and everybody's dead, that it'll happen. But this is Jesus demonstrating that he's the Lord over life and death. And so when it's all done, that conversation with Martha, here's what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Well, this is our understanding of what happens to you after you die. You kind of wake up on the other side. Um, that's why near-death experiences aren't frightening or weird to Catholics, because you expect that you're not going out of existence, that you never die because you eat in his flesh and you drink his blood, and you're preparing for this general resurrection. You'll have the specific judgment at the time of your death, and the general judgment at the end of all time. And so it's not that the Pharisees are wrong, they only have part of the picture. And that's why the Pharisees and Jesus uh, overlap but are not identical. Then Martha, again, interpreting and understanding through her religious understanding. And it's, we can do it as Catholics, that we hear God's word but it just goes through all the familiar rivulets in our mind so it doesn't discomfort us. And Martha says, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is looking for faith. And she said, yes, Lord, I believe. I've come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. Okay, not exactly, I know that when I die, I will see you, Lord. It's still this human understanding. Jesus works with incomplete faith. If you don't think you're there 100% yet because you don't understand, hey, join the club. Um, faith is a process, a process of growing. Now, here's the other thing. So remember this, that little story I just told you that's the sub-story? It's, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's how it starts. Well, as soon as this part of the story with Martha ends, it says Martha went to tell Mary. And remember, remember, Mary's the one, the contemplative, 
who's sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus says, she's picked the better half. Well, Mary comes to him weeping. And then she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's like these sisters that practice what they're gonna say first thing to Jesus, blaming him for Lazarus's death. And you know, we do blame God for death. Wow, I just don't go through all the sad reasons. But this is the burden God bears. When Jesus saw her weeping, the story says, and the Jews would come with her weeping, and she was very close to him. She's the one who washed his feet with her hair and her tears. Do you remember? Someone who loved so much, but still something so inadequate. And so he becomes deeply troubled because God is probing the shallowness of the human heart. And friends, I include myself in that group of shallow believers. And Jesus says to me and to you and to all the rest who are like Mary, where have you laid him? Show me death. Sir, come and see. Then Martha comes back. And that she's the one who said, yes, I believe you're the one coming into the world. She's the one that says, uh, there'll be a stench. Don't open the grave. It's what inadequate faith does to put limits on God. This is a story about us. And then the others who are hanging around says, you know, couldn't the one who opened the eyes of the blind, born blind done something for this man? Just everybody is in a, a supervisory relationship with God. Humility is what's required. And so Jesus says, take away the stone. That's when Martha says, there'll be a stench. And Jesus says, take away the stone. And then he says, for us and our benefit. Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd here, I've said this, that they may believe that you sent me. This is Jesus with tears in his eyes because it's the only time in scripture when it says he wept and he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, wrapped up in burial cloths. Untie him and let him go, the Savior said. Now, here's how it concludes. Many of the Jews had come to Mary and seen what he'd done, began to believe in him. But that's not the end of the story. It's the end of the gospel. We won't have anything more. But this is what gets Jesus killed. Because the very next line is, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Just like at the end of John chapter 6, some of them left him. And what happens if you leave Jesus? Well, you have to reduce him. You have to make him something less than God's call on you, don't you? That's the problem of walking away from Jesus. And then as you go through verses 46 through uh, verse 53 of the Gospel of John, it's the whole story of how Caiaphas and the rest of the Sanhedrin decide, we gotta put a stop to this. Can you imagine the most faithful, religious people. God comes and he's putting sinews on muscles on dry bones. And this has to be stopped. Because what happens when religion replaces God? Our rules replace what God is doing in the world. If he doesn't fit into my, whatever my version of Catholicism is, then this must be the enemy. Well, let's take a moment and let's think about how this gospel speaks to us.
The second reading was from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, a famous letter and a famous line. And here's what it says. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit dwelling in you. And so think of death at two levels, the first and the second death. One's physical death, God can cure that. But disconnecting from Jesus, disconnecting from the life of the Spirit welling up you in you, disappearing, disconnecting from his body and blood, disconnecting from the God that can bring you back from death, no good can come of that. St. Peter Christologus said in a homily about the raising of Lazarus that for Christ it was more important to conquer death and to cure disease he showed his love for his friend, not by healing him, but by calling him back from the grave. And instead of a remedy for his illness, he offered him the glory of rising from the dead to remind us of what awaits us at our death, and most, more as importantly, if not more so, the death of the people that you and I love. You know, next week, we're going to read the uh, passion and death of the Lord. It's Palm Sunday. And what we're preparing to celebrate during Holy Week is the passion and death and resurrection of the Lord. Happiness with God is one in one another is the goal of human life. It's how do we live connected to God and one another in this life-giving, loving relationship. Sin threatens that relationship at its basic because it's me using my life and creation absent God. Death is what the image of sin is um, because sin is spiritual death and what you and I will all die from is, of course, uh, physical death. So the man born blind saw the glory of God in Jesus. The Samaritan woman believed in the water welling up to eternal life. When you look at your flesh, and I'm six, on my way to being 67, and you feel your knees going, you have sciatica, all sorts of other things that people experience as they age. Can you believe that God can bring all that back? Because that's the promise of the gospel. And so as we think about this revelation that we've been prepared for since the time of Ezekiel, what the disciples saw in the resurrection of Lazarus and then the resurrection from the dead of Christ, where it's not a body that came back to life, but a body that entered into new life. It's like being led back from Babylon to our real home with God. It's like water lifting us up into God in baptism. Wine and bread joining us to God's body. Our death, our time of marriage to the eternal bridegroom. So let's get ready for Holy Week. And God bless you. And this has been one more edition of Oral Valley Catholic.